0: Welcome to the Nursing Home 411 Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Goldwine, and on today's show, we have Ernie Tosh, a Texas-based plaintiff's lawyer who specializes in nursing home finances and staffing. The interview, recorded back in late April, is one of my favorites, as we got to take a deep dive into nursing home data and discuss the relationship between staffing, financials, and resident care. Tosh also offered a few tips on using public nursing home data and chatted about his fascinating career path that led him to becoming a data-driven attorney advocating for nursing home residents. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Hi, Ernie. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, well, it's very great to
0: be here. Thanks for inviting me. We'll get started here. You're a trial attorney representing victims of elder abuse and neglect, and the majority of your cases are centered on pressure sores and falls. Can you briefly explain the circumstances in which such injuries would be considered abuse and neglect?
1: Sure. So within the nursing home setting, you're certainly going to have the most uh, fragile individuals Uh, you know now some people go there to have rehabilitation and then go home some people go there with no expectation of returning home Uh, whichever the case is the facility has an obligation to make sure that that person while they are staying there is experiencing the highest level of physical and mental ability as possible and so the facility needs to do whatever they need to do to make sure that that person is maximizing their potential. So in a fall situation, the, the nursing home needs to be able to plan to make sure that that person is up and walking around as much as possible because, uh, as we all know in this area, uh, being up and walking and moving around is extremely helpful in keeping them physically and mentally active. You can't just park somebody in the bed and uh, get them up once a day to go to the bathroom and expect that to be a successful stay in the nursing home. And so the problem there is that you have individuals who have medical conditions, they have uh, medications that interfere with being able to have fine motor skills that are required for walking. And so those people are at higher risk of falling. And so the nursing home has the obligation of assessing that individual. There's actual checklists and score systems that are used to figure out how high risk that person is at falling. And as the risk of falling goes up, the facility has an obligation to increase the precautions that they put in place to make sure that that person doesn't fall. Or if they do fall, they suffer as least injury as possible. So what that means is if this person is using the bathroom uh, as opposed to using a diaper, that person is at a higher risk of falling because getting up and going to the bathroom requires them to walk. And, you know, maybe there's, you know, they're in the hospital bed, there's furniture in the room, there's, you know, some general obstructions they have to get around. Well, that person probably needs an escort to the bathroom. And so you have to make sure that you are care planning and staffing, to help that person get to the bathroom, which means you have to be able to answer their call line.
0: Right. There was a case a few years ago. Uh, you appeared as an expert witness in it, which I think perfectly exemplifies this scenario uh, that you just mentioned. It was a Maxime versus Kindred Nursing and Rehab, where a facility which was recently taken over by uh, by a major nursing home corporation and a resident, a woman in her early 70s, uh, experienced a, sustained a fall during a one person assist that resulted in a fractured femur. Then her brace was fitted incorrectly and that led to a pressure wound, then a superbugs, and 11 weeks after her initial fall, she was dead. Uh, do I have the details roughly right in that case?
1: Yes, that is correct. That, that's a case out of Cleveland. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you kind of summarize or uh, fill in any holes? That's what I just said.
1: That's a good rendition of the facts. <laughs> the issues there were that this particular facility was it was very understaffed. And so if my memory serves me correctly, they were understaffed both in RNs and in A's. So so the problem that you've got is if you have RN understaffed is that you don't have people of people being licensed nurses, that are able to do the care plans. So you have to have RNs do the assessments of the individual and figure out what their risk factors are and what they actually need on a day-to-day basis. And then you have to put that in a care plan, and that's a written plan of care that says this person needs to be taken to the bathroom every two hours. They need to have their food mechanically, Chopped and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's very detailed, um, but you have to have an RN prepare that so that the rest of the staff in the nursing home can look at that and then follow it. So, so number one, if you don't have enough RNs in a facility, you're not properly assessing the people, and you're not properly care planning for the person. And then, if you don't have enough aides in the facility, you don't have people to carry out the care plans even if you have them done correctly. And that's and that's where you get into negligence or elder abuse in falls. You did not properly care plan for this person's risk factors and or you didn't properly staff to take care of their risk factors, and they ultimately fall, and that fall starts the cascade of events that leads to their death.
0: I think cascade of events is a effective way of describing that. Um, So you were in that trial, you were uh, an expert witness. You testified uh, discussing the data and the staffing. Is that something you do in other cases as well? Can you talk a little bit more about your work in uh, data analysis and staffing analysis?
1: Yeah, I kind of have a unique position um, in that uh, I've been an attorney for about 30 years, and uh, elder abuse uh, are the only cases that I litigate uh, myself. Then uh, I got involved with analyzing the staffing and financial data uh, that's available for nursing homes, basically through governmental filings. Uh, Being part of the Medicare-Medicaid system, uh, these facilities are under an obligation to file very detailed financial and staffing documents uh, with the federal government and then also with state governments uh, each year. And so I started getting that information and analyzing it for my own cases. And, I kind of was the right person, right time. I have a finance degree um, with significant hours of economics and accounting. I also have uh, a tremendous amount of math and computer science classwork as well. And so when you combine all of that, I just was the right person. I figured out how to obtain all of this information from the government, we built databases to house the information. I wrote software to to efficiently and effectively analyze the information. And so in doing that, I was really just doing it for myself, for my cases and my clients. But when other attorneys heard that I could do this type of analysis, they were very interested in it, and so it has evolved to where I now testify quite regularly as an expert witness in basically a forensic accounting type capacity about their finances and then also about their reported staffing versus what CMS actually expects them to staff at.
0: Now, as far as accessing the data, I know there's public sites out there. uh, There's Nursing Home Compare. There's the data.medicare.gov Medicare.gov. Is that the data you're working with or are there, do you get information from states, from facilities? How do you obtain the data that you're working with?
1: Well, the the financial data is mostly from the federal cost reports. Excuse me. Um, The federal cost report is called uh, CMS form 2540. And it's a very comprehensive spreadsheet of financial data. And then it also has a couple of pages that contain staffing data. And that is filed annually by the nursing homes. So that's that's one set of data that we can get hold of uh, through CMS, Um, CMS being the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is the government agency that oversees uh, all nursing homes that receive state or federal money, which is about 99% of them. There's only a very few nursing homes that don't accept Medicare or Medicaid patients. The other uh, area we get data from is you can get data, especially financial data, from Medicaid cost reports. So Medicaid cost reports are filed with the state, licensing agency in each state, and every state has a different form that they use for that. Some of them are very rudimentary. Uh, some are very detailed and have have very good information. By and large, for financial analysis, we use the federal cost reports, the 2540s, uh, because they are, uh, are so extensive, and uh, we can compare costs. The entire 15,000 nursing homes in the country, they uh, all report the same information. But some states would also get good staffing data reported. So if a Medicaid cost report has staffing data, we will definitely, uh, look at that. There are, there's staffing data for cases that arose before April 1st, 2018. There's another CMS form called CMS Form 671 that contains staffing data. That data was what, when they were inspected, when they had their annual inspection done, the nursing home administrator gives the inspector a Form 671 that says, this is our staffing for the last two weeks. The problem with that form was, it was just absolutely rife uh, with inaccuracies, either intentionally or unintentionally. The the amount of inaccuracy in that document was astounding. Okay. So then CMS changed and started collecting data for staff through a different system called um, the Payroll-Based Journal, PBJ. And that is another set of data that we have that we would use for staffing analysis. And PBJ is basically the nursing home sending all of their time records to CMS every ninety days. It's electronically submitted, and it's not just their nursing staff. It's their cooks, their housekeeping. You know, it's everyone that, that works in the facility. They have to report all that time to CMS, and. As of April 1st, 2018, CMS no longer collects Form 671. They use PBJ. Right. And so PBJ is a, a supposed to be, and I believe it is, a much more accurate system for collecting staffing data. Uh, and as opposed to being just for a two-week period or for a, a complete year uh, like the twenty five forty. PBJ is collected for each individual day. So, if you get that data and analyze it, you can actually see their staffing levels every
0: single day. Mm-hmm. So, I know, understanding your work, your uh, your analysis is able to connect connect staffing to financials to various uh, indicators for. For someone who might not have a, um, a, a quantitative background, do you have any suggestions on how they might be able to use the public data? Um, say that they're a, uh, ombudsman or they're a, uh, a, a family member, uh, member of a nursing home resident. Do you have any suggestions on how they might be able to use the public data to, improve their outcomes or to monitor a facility that they are uh, linked with?
1: For the general populace, it is very difficult to discern what information is there and then which ones are important. What, and then how do you compare that from one facility to another? Um, Which is why CMS created the CMS Compare website. The problem with that website is um, the staffing evaluation is messed up, and so you can't rely on the staffing evaluation, the staffing stars. The quality measures that are reported there are manipulated by the facilities if they choose to manipulate them. Mm -hmm. So you can't trust the quality measure score. So really the only score on the CMS compare website you can trust is the health inspection. And then even that is, there's a little bit of, of problem with that because different states are funding different numbers of investigators. And so the inspectors may or may not have time to actually do really good inspections. And so, Trying to use the publicly available information is, is difficult. I would say, you know, you can, like, like, PBJ is probably the most readily available data for staffing, and that's the daily staffing that they're reporting. Okay, the and that's
0: different. Is, is that different from the yes. Nursing Home Compare staffing? No, averages?
1: no that, that's, that's, what, that's what Nursing Home Compare uses. Uh, for their underlying data. But here's the problem. The problem with, you know, let's say you're looking at nursing home A. You go and you look at the PBJ, and they are averaging 3.9 hours of staff per patient per day. What that means is that if you add RNs, LVNs or LPNs, however they're referred to in in your jurisdiction, an A. CNAs, Certified Nursing Assistants. So RNs, LPNs, and Aids, when you add them together, how many hours does the average patient get of their time? So if you're saying that a facility is staffed at 3.9 hours, that means when you combine those three classes of nursing care, each patient is receiving 3.9 hours of care. Now, Some will require more, some will require less. So each individual is not going to receive 3.9. It's just across the average population for that facility is 3.9. The problem is you then go look at a facility up the road, and they're at 4.1. And you think, oh, 4.1 is better than 3.9, but that's not necessarily true because that number – doesn't tell you how sick the population is in that nursing home, okay? And so that is a number that the general populace cannot get. It is, in fact, myself and another attorney in Houston uh, sued CMS for the data necessary to do that calculation because CMS used to make that calculation. And that's what they used on the CMS Compare was the reported staffing and how did it compare to expected staffing. And expected staffing is a calculation based on each person's what's called acuity or their sickness or their care needs. You take all the care needs of all the residents in the facility and then you compare that to their actual staffing. So if their care needs are 4.1 and they're staffed at 3.9, they're going to be understaffed in one or more areas, RNs, LPs, or CNAs. Right. If you are staffing at 4.1, but your needs are 4.0, then clearly you're staffing uh, to your acuity. Right. Um, and so not having that number to compare to, it's very difficult, if not impossible, for the general populace to say which of two nursing homes is staffed better,
0: yeah. um,
1: because that's not the calculation that CMS does on their website anymore.
0: Tying it back to the the Stratford, the Kindred Stratford case, um, the expected in, in in that facility, uh, it's my understanding that the expected staffing was higher than what you found was the actual uh, staffing. Is it, Do I have that correct?
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. You have expected staffing that is how much nursing care is needed for this facility and what did they report their staffing to be. And in the Stratford facility, yeah, that's exactly right. The reported staffing was below expected staffing.
0: Okay. And what did that have to do with their financials? Well,
1: in that situation, uh, it was pretty clear that they were making, you know, a significant amount of money through Medicare and Medicaid payments plus private pay money through HMOs or self-pay patients. And so there was money to increase the staffing, but they were basically overpaying what are called related parties. So related parties means that a parent company owns the nursing home. So you know if you if you're talking about there's another, there's a big national chain called manor care. So let's say manor care is the national chain. care headquarters owns 500 nursing homes. And each of those nursing homes is held in its own little corporation. Well, Care may also own all the property, all the buildings in uh, another corporation. And they lease that building to the nursing home. And then Care they also own a physical therapy company and a pharmacy and a consulting company and they all do business with these 500 nursing homes. And that's all fine. There's nothing wrong with that situation. What, what becomes an issue is when the nursing home overpays the related parties. Mm-hmm. And so that's the situation that we see in a lot of the for-profit companies is they overpay the related parties and in effect, they siphon all the money out of the nursing home and then throw up their hands and go, we didn't have the money for more staffing, we don't make any money, we lose money. It's not true. It's all an accounting fiction that they create to make it look like they're losing money, but they're really not. Tying time that, time that back into the Stratford case, if, if instead of overpaying, you know, related parties, they had supplied sufficient staffing, it was the attorney's in that case's opinion um, that additional staffing could have prevented that
0: fall. Okay. So the, the result in the Kindred case, uh, can, can you talk about the result, the verdict?
1: Yes, the, uh, jury returned a verdict in favor of the, uh, plaintiffs. The plaintiffs in that case were, uh, Ms. Maxim's children. And, um, the jury returned a verdict of, uh, a million, a little over a million dollars in, Actual damages, and then uh, there was a punitive damages stage of the trial. And what that means is first the jury determines what the actual damages were that were suffered, and then if they believe that the facility should be additionally punished for their behavior, then you have a punitive portion of the trial. You have to as as the plaintiff, you have to prove certain things, the jury has to find certain things, are true for you to go to a punitive stage of the trial. But that occurred in this case, and the jury awarded another $3 million in punitive damages. So the total award to uh, the family was $4.4 million. Okay.
0: So back to your, you've had a, uh, a bifurcated career, um, as both an attorney and working in programming and data analysis. Uh, I understand you, so you went to Texas Tech Law School. Uh, then after law school, you started taking coursework in math and computer science at a Texas Christian. What motivated you? What, what drove you to uh, pursue that?
1: Well, you know, I've always been uh, one of these individuals that uh, have a very difficult time uh, sitting still. And so I'm not someone who, when they have free time, wastes much time. Uh, I've always wanted to be learning something different, something new. And so even after finishing law school, uh, I went on to become a district attorney and did criminal law for a long time. And, Then from there, I opened my own practice as a criminal defense attorney, and it was during that time that when uh, I would have semesters where it didn't look like I was going to be in trial, I would go and take additional coursework at the local colleges to basically just take classes I was interested in, not that I really had any purpose for. So I went and took a bunch of advanced math classes, which – I know most people, especially attorneys, just think that's insane because, you know, most attorneys did not go to law school because they could do math. So, you know, it was just, it was just a fun thing for me to do, uh, on my own. And then it just turns out that, you know, 15 years later, all of that education came into play and and again was just the right time in my life, the right data came available, and I was the person who had the basic knowledge in these different areas to piece it all together.
0: And for those who are uh, maybe more intimidated by statistics and advanced math, uh, and specifically those in nursing home abuse law, Are there any uh, recommendations or is there any advice you'd give them, maybe not necessarily to pursue programming or uh, advanced math classes, but any suggestions you'd have as far as improving their quantitative skill set?
1: Well, you know, I, I do a lot of work with, I don't know, probably a couple of hundred attorneys around the country to help them understand this data. And and they don't have to have much quantitative skill because, you know, the programs that we've written to do this analysis, you know, spit out, you know, three or four hundred charts and graphs that chew this information up into very small pieces. You know, I can tell you on any facility in the country how much they spent on food per person per day for any year, back to 1996 so you don't need to understand how specifically that is done to be able to use that information in your cases and so you know i certainly have no difficulty working with advocacy groups with attorneys um, to better understand what is available but they don't have to reinvent the wheel all they need to be able to do is understand what the graphs and the tables are, uh, the information that, that is given to them in that form, and almost anybody can do that. And so, so like I said, a lot of attorneys are intimidated by math. Uh, they went to law school because, uh, you know, they avoided math and, and therefore, um, you know, they didn't become doctors, uh, you know, uh, but they can still use this stuff with very limited math, you know, familiarity.
0: We'll put your website uh, on the show description, but how would people know how to connect with you?
1: So I have, you know, my own law firm, which is the Tosh Law Firm. Uh, so ToshLawFirm.com is my website. Uh, also, uh, they can just email me, Ernest Tosh. Ernestosh mm-hmm. at toshlawfirm.com, and so either either way, it's easy to get hold of me. And um, you know, like I said, I spend a lot of time either on one-on-one conversations or in um, seminar settings teaching people how to use this stuff <laughs> uh, because it is very powerful once you understand how the finances. And the staffing, or lack thereof, uh, play with each other, and then when you understand that understaffing drives almost all of our cases, it becomes clear that it's all a financial thing. It is a profits over people type mentality, and um, these chains are making conscious decisions to staff lower, knowing that injuries can and will occur, because of that and they're okay with that and you know we
0: are not we close our interviews with a guest recommendation segment where i'm going to ask you to recommend first a nursing home related uh, this could be a report a video a book and then second a non-nursing home related so this uh, a movie you just saw or a, a tv show or, or anything so uh, what do you got here
1: so I would say as far as material for nursing home specific, it's not a specific article or book. It is an author. Uh, it is Dr. Charlene Harrington. Now, doctor, if, if, if your, your listeners Google Dr. Charlene Harrington, she is from the University of California, San Francisco, and she is the country's leading expert on staffing in nursing homes. And she has published probably 200 articles. And um, she is a very, very good writer. And the information she provides is normally in very specific, bite-sized uh, subjects. And I would encourage anybody who's doing this type of research or litigation to go read dr Sh- dr harrington's articles um, i think they are the most informative information that you're going to be able to find in a readily you know readable format so that's that's what i recommend for my nursing home reading
0: okay great and uh and see and uh you can also listen to her on a on a podcast that we will uh, publish before before this episode. Um so yeah, and she's she she was a great interview. I can uh I can en- endorse your endorsement.
1: <laughs> well, she's fantastic. I've known her for years. Uh she is just so unbelievably helpful. She is a powerful advocate, a great expert witness. And, um, again, her writing and research is, is second to none. So, I mean, if you're involved in this litigation, you need to know Charlene. So so for non-nursing home, my wife and I, during this quarantine period, uh, watched uh, a series on Amazon Prime's video called The Boys, and uh, we found that to be very entertaining. It is a... Uh, I think there's eight episodes that have been uh, put up, and it's basically kind of like a superhero situation, kind of like Marvel uh, comic kind of thing. Except, uh, not to not to give away any spoilers, the superheroes are basically run by a giant corporation and are not exactly what they first appear. Mm-hmm. And we found that to be super entertaining. So, um, so anyway, that's my non-nursing home. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll have to get to that. I'm currently on a Better Call Saul. Oh, ran okay. another great series. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I had to watch that to prepare as I'm talking to an attorney right now. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope I'm not Saul. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh well thank you so much uh for for coming on the podcast and taking the time uh to uh, let us know about your work and also thank you in general for your your work to support uh residents and uh, families of residents in long-term care settings.
1: Absolutely. And I would just like to you know give a shout out to uh the other Individuals in this area that are working for reform uh, in this area. This uh, area is so underrepresented as far as um, legislatures caring about what's happening in our nursing homes. Uh, right now during the pandemic, it is clear that understaffing is what led to this situation. Uh, it's underfunding because the corporation siphoned all the money away from the corporate, from the nursing homes. And now we're seeing the ramifications of that. Thousands and thousands and thousands of nursing home residents are dying. And so I, again, give a shout-out to all those people that are working so hard to reform this industry, uh, and I look forward to, to working more with those individuals.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Nursing Home 411 podcast. For more, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a rating and review. You can also listen to us on nursinghome411.org podcast. Our music is by Silverman Sound Studios. Till next time.